two letters by Sharaf ad-Din Muniri, rahimahullah ta'ala. Necessity of holding on to the means. Sharaf ad-Din Ahmed ibn Yahya Muniri died 1380-782, rahmatullahi alayh, one of the great Islamic scholars educated in India, wrote in the 18th letter of his Persian Mektubat. Footnote. There are 100 letters in this collection of the letters Mektubat. It was compiled in 1339-741 and printed in India in 1911-1329. There is a manuscript copy in the Suleymaniyah Library in Istanbul. Irshad al-Saliqin and Madin al-Mani are Sharaf al-Din Ahmed ibn Yahya Muniri's two other valuable books. Yahya Muniri lived in Bihar, India, where his grave is. Munir is a village in Bihar. His detailed biography is written in Shah Abdul Haq al-Dahlawi's Persian work Akbar al-Akyar, which was published in Dioband, India in 1914-1332, and was later reproduced in Lahore, Pakistan. Most people go wrong by acting upon doubts and illusions. Some of such ill-thinking people say, Allah Ta'ala does not need our ibadat, acts of worship. Our ibadat do him no good. It is indifferent to his greatness whether people worship him or disobey him. People who perform ibadat suffer trouble and bother themselves in vain. This reasoning is wrong. People who do not know Islam say so because they think that ibadat was ordered because it was useful to Allah Ta'ala. This is a very wrong supposition, and it makes one confuse impossible with possible. Any ibadat done by anybody is useful to himself only. Allah Ta'ala declares clearly in the 18th ayat of the Surat Fatir that this is so. One who bears this wrong thought is like an ill person whom the doctor recommends to diet, but who does not diet and says, It won't harm the doctor if I don't diet. He is right to say that it will not harm the doctor, but it will harm him. The doctor recommends him to diet not because it will be useful to the doctor himself, but to cure the patient's disease. If he follows the doctor's advice, he will recover. If he does not, he will die. And this will not harm the doctor at all. Some other wrong-thinking people do not perform any ibadah nor stop committing prohibitions, haram. That is, they do not obey Islam. They say, Allah is gracious, kareem, and merciful, rahim, pitying humans very much with endless forgiveness. Allah does not torture anybody. Yes, they are right in their first statement, but wrong in their last statement. In this subject, the devil deceives and misleads them to disobedience. A reasonable person will not be deceived by the devil. Allah Ta'ala is not only gracious and merciful, but also punishes very severely and very bitterly. We witness that Allah Ta'ala makes many people live in poverty and trouble in this world. He makes without hesitation many human creatures live in torment. Although he is very merciful and razak, sustainer, he will not give even one morsel of bread unless the trouble of agriculture and farming is undertaken. Despite being the one who keeps everybody alive, he will not let a person survive without eating and drinking, nor cure a sick person who does not take medicine. He created means for all the worldly blessings, such as living, not becoming ill and owning property, and showed no mercy in depriving those who would not hold fast to the means, 
of the worldly blessings. There are two kinds of medicine, material medicine and spiritual medicine. For curing all sorts of illness, giving alms and saying prayers are spiritual medicines. The hadiths cure those among you that are ill by giving alms and reciting istighfar, saying astaghfirullah. O my Allah, forgive me, frequently is the medicine that cures any illness whatsoever. There are quite a number of material medicines. They are learned through experiments. Use of spiritual medicine is helpful in finding material medicine as well. So is the case with attaining the blessings of the next world. Allah Ta'ala made disbelief and ignorance poisons fatal to the heart and soul, and laziness makes the soul sick. If medicine is not used, the soul will become sick and die. The one and only medicine for disbelief and ignorance is knowledge, marifa. The medicine for laziness is the performance of salat and every kind of ibadat. In this world, if a person takes poison and says, Allah is merciful and protects against the harm of poison, he will become ill and die. If a person with diarrhea drinks castor oil, or if a diabetic eats sugar or starchy food, he will get worse, because the human body is delicate. It needs a wide variety of basic necessities, food, clothing, and dwelling. It is quite difficult to find them and prepare them so as to utilize them in conformity with Islam. To manage these works with ease and comfort, a separate force called nafs was created in humans. This force was not created in animals. The nafs wants those things that are necessary to the body. It enjoys doing such things in excess. Desires of the nafs are called shahwa, lust. Its use of shahwa more than needed and without mind's supervision will give harm to one's heart and body and to others, which in turn is sinful. Please see the final part of the 13th chapter of the first fascicle of endless bliss. Another group of wrong-thinking people undergo riyada, self-denial, by suffering hunger for the purpose of ridding themselves of their shahwa, lust, gadab, wrath, anger, and catering to their desires which are frowned upon in Islam. They think that Islam commands them to be eradicated. After suffering hunger for a long time, they see that these evil desires of theirs have not gone away and conclude that Islam commands something impossible. They say, this command of Islam cannot be done. Man cannot get rid of the habits existing in his nature. Attempting to get rid of them is like trying to make a person change their color. Trying to do something impossible is to waste one's life. They think and act wrongly. In fact, their claim that Islam commands so is sheer ignorance and idiocy. For Islam does not command removal of the human features like wrath and lust. Such a claim is a slander against Islam. If Islam had commanded so, Muhammad, السلام, the master of Islam, would not have had these features. In fact, he said, I am a human being. Like everybody, I get angry too. From time to time, he would be seen angry. His anger was always for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala praises the people who can overcome their wrath in the 134th ayat of Surah Al-Imran of the Qur'an Al-Kareem. He does not praise those who do not get angry. The claim of the one who, thinking wrongly, supports removal of lust is quite groundless. The fact that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam married nine women radiallahu ta'ala anhunna clearly shows that that person's statement is wrong. 
If a person loses his lust, he will have to regain it by taking medicine. So is the case with wrath. A man can protect his wife and children with his feature of wrath. He fights jihad against the enemies of Islam with the aid of this feature. It is owing to lust that one has children and is spoke of with honor and fame after his death. These are things liked and praised by Islam. Islam commands not to destroy lust and wrath, but to control both of them and to use them in conformity with Islam. It is similar to the necessity for a horseman or a hunter not, not to do away with his horse or dog, but to tame it in such a manner as to utilize it. In other words, lust and wrath are like the dog of a hunter and the horse of a horseman. Without these two, the blessings of the next world cannot be hunted. But utilizing them requires training them and using them suitably with Islam. If they, instead of being trained, but become excessive and exceed the limits of Islam, they lead one to ruination. Self-denial is intended not to get rid of these two features, but to train them and make them obey Islam. This is possible for everybody. Not the use of atomic power or the discovery of things like jet planes means civilization. Using them for serving mankind is civilization. And that, in turn, is attainable by following Islam. The fourth group of those who wrongly think deceive themselves by saying, everything was predestined in the eternal past. Before a child is born, it is determined if it is going to be Sa'id, pious, deserving of paradise, or Shaki, sinful, evil, deserving of hell. This will not change afterwards. Therefore, it is useless to worship. The Sahabat al-Kiram said the same when Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam had stated that Qada and Qadar would not change and that everything had been predestined in eternity. Let us rely on the eternal predestination and not perform rituals, ibadat. But Rasulullah replied, Do perform the rituals. It is easy for everybody to do what was predestined for him in eternity. That is, he who was determined to be pious in eternity will be made to do what the pious do. Likewise, performance of rituals by the people who were determined in eternity to be pious and disobedience towards Allah Ta'ala of those who were determined in eternity to be evil are similar to the behaviors of people who, predestined to live healthfully, take food and medicine and of those who, being predestined to become ill and die, do not take food or medicine. People with destiny of dying of hunger or illness are unable to benefit from food or medicine. Ways of earning are open for a person whose predestination is to become rich. The ways leading to the West is closed for a person whose destiny is to die in the East. As had been reported, Archangel Azrael salam, while visiting the Prophet Suleiman Solomon salam, looked intently at one of the people who were sitting there. The man was frightened by the angel's stern looks. When Azrael salam, was gone, he begged Suleiman salam, to command the wind to take him to a western country so that he would escape from Azrael. Salam. When Azrael salam, came back, Suleiman salam, asked why he had looked intently on the man's face. Azrael salam, said, I had been commanded to take away his soul in a western town in an hour, but when I saw him in your company, I could not help looking at him with astonishment. Later I went to the west to carry out the command and saw him there and took his life. As it is seen, 
the eternal predestination was not a command, but knowledge. In order for the eternal predestination to take place, the man had feared Azrael and Sulaiman carried out his wish. The predestination in eternity was actualized through a chain of means. Likewise, a person who was determined to be pious in eternity will attain the lot of having Iman and correcting his bad habits by undergoing Riyadah. The 125th ayat of the Surah Al-Anam states, Allah Ta'ala places Islam into the heart of the human creature whom he wishes to guide to the right way. A person who was known in eternity that he would become evil, that is, who was predestined to go to hell, is given the thought, there is no need to perform the rituals. It was predestined in eternity whether a person would be pious or evil. He does not perform the rituals because of this thought. His not performing the rituals because of this thought shows that he was determined to be evil in eternity. Likewise, a person whose ignorance was predestined in eternity is given the thought, everything was predestined in eternity. Reading or learning will be of no benefit to a person if he was predestined to be ignorant. Thus, he does not study or learn anything. He remains ignorant. If it was predestined for a person to farm and abundantly harvest crops, he is given the lot of plowing his field and sowing seeds. So is the case with those who were preordained as pious in eternity to believe and perform rituals and those who were preordained as evil to deny and disobey. Some ignoramuses, unable to understand this, say, What do the belief and rituals have to do with being pious in eternity? or disbelief and disobedience with being evil. With their short reason, they try to comprehend this relation and to solve everything with their own intellect, but human reason is limited, and it is stupidity or idiocy to attempt to understand the things beyond reason's comprehension with reason. Those who think so should be judged to be fools. Isa said, It was not difficult for me to make those born blind to see, nor even to revive the dead. But I was unable to explain the truth to even one fool. Allah Ta'ala, with infinite knowledge and hidden wisdom, hikmah, promotes some human creatures to the rank of angels and even to a higher grade. Some others are degraded to the grade of dogs or hogs. Hazrat Sharaf din Ahmed ibn Yahya Muniri states in his 76th letter, Sa'ada means piousness causing everlasting happiness, quality of deserving paradise, and shakawa means sinfulness, state of deserving hell. Sa'ada and shakawa are like two treasuries of Allah Ta'ala. The key to the first treasury is the pious deed, ta'at, ibadah. The key to the second treasury is sinning. Allah Ta'ala knew in eternity whether a person would be sa'id, of sa'ada, pious, or shaki, of shakawa, evil. This knowledge of Allah Ta'ala is called qadar, destiny, fate, See above, page 72. A person who was known in eternity to become pious obeys Allah Ta'ala. A person who was known in eternity to become evil always commits sins. In this world, everyone can understand whether they are pious or evil by looking at their own deeds. In this way, the religious scholars, who are always mindful of the next world, understand whether a person is pious or evil. But a man of religious post, who has indulged in this world, does not know it. Every honor or blessing comes about from obeying and worshiping Allah Ta'ala with ikhlas, sincere piousness, quality, intention or state of, doing everything only for Allah Ta'ala's sake. Every evil or trouble originates from sinning. Trouble and misfortune come to everybody through sinning. 
Comfort and ease come through obedience. Footnote. This is Allah Ta'ala's divine custom. No one can change this. We should not consider something that looks easy and sweet to our nafs as sa'ada, piousness causing everlasting happiness. Nor should we think of things that look difficult and bitter to the nafs as shakawa, sinfulness, state of deserving hell or perdition. There was a man who had spent his life praying and performing ibadat in the Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. Because he had not learned the conditions of worship and ikhlas, he neglected one sajda, prostration, so he lost so much that he was utterly destroyed. However, because the Ashab al-Kahf's dog walked for a few steps behind the Siddiqs, the good, truth-tellers, though dirty, it was promoted so high that it was never degraded. This situation is very astonishing for humans. Scholars have not been able to solve this conundrum for centuries. Human reason cannot comprehend the divine wisdom hidden in it. Allah Ta'ala told Adam السلام, not to eat wheat, but let him eat it, because he knew in eternity that he would eat it. Allah Ta'ala commanded Satan to prostrate before Adam, السلام, but he willed him not to prostrate. Allah Ta'ala said we should look for him, but he did not will the attainment of people without ikhlas. On these matters, travelers on the divine way could not say anything other than that they could not understand nothing. Then, how can we say anything? Allah Ta'ala does not need the belief or worship of human beings, nor would disbelief or sinning harm him. Allah Ta'ala never needs creatures. He has made knowledge a means for clearing away disbelief and created ignorance as a means for sinning. Belief and worship originate from knowledge, while disbelief and sin stem from ignorance. Good deed, ta'at, should not be omitted, even if it is rather minor. Sinning should be avoided even if it may seem quite venial. Islamic scholars stated that three things would cause three other things. Good deed causes Allah Ta'ala's rida, consent. Sinning causes his wrath, gadab. Iman causes one to earn honor and dignity. For this reason, we should strictly avoid committing even a venial sin. Allah Ta'ala's wrath might be in that sin. We should regard every believer in Ahl Sunnah Islam as being superior to us. He may be a human being whom Allah Ta'ala loves very much. Everybody's destiny, which was determined in eternity, can never be changed. Allah Ta'ala, if he wishes, will forgive a Muslim who always sins and does not do any good deed. As quoted in the 30th ayat of the Surah Al-Baqarah, when angels asked, O oh Allah, are you going to create creatures who will cause chaos and shed blood all over the world? Allah Ta'ala did not say that they would not cause chaos, but said, I know what you do not know. He meant, I make worthy what are unworthy. I make those who are far away come near. I make those belittled, honorable. You judge them by their conduct, but I look at the belief in their hearts. You take being without sin into your account. They trust themselves to my mercy. As I like your innocence, I like to forgive Muslims' sins. You cannot know what I know. I make the believers attain my eternal blessings and fondle them all with my everlasting favor. Al-Imam al-Rabbani wrote in various letters, Those things commanded by Allah Ta'ala are called fard, and what are prohibited are termed haram. Those acts, utterances, behaviors that are neither fard nor haram and which have been declared to be permitted are termed mubah. It is called ibadah 
worship rituals to perform the fard, to avoid the haram, and to do the mubah for gaining Allah Ta'ala's consent, in order for an ibadah to be sahih, correctly done, so valid, and makbul, accepted, so liked by Allah Ta'ala, it is necessary a. to learn ilm, b. to practice amal compatibly with the essentials, and c. to do it with ikhlas. If a Muslim, though believing fard and haram, does not perform ibadah due to laziness or being influenced by bad friends, and dies without having repented, he will be punished in the fire of hell until the penalty for his sins is completed. A person who does not learn what the fard are, or, though they know them, do not attach any importance to them, and do not perform them without feeling sorry nor having fear of Allah Ta'ala, will go out of Islam and become an unbeliever. They will be subjected to the fire of hell eternally. This also applies to committing haram. If a person does not learn about or does not know the essentials of a ritual, their performance of that ritual will not be sahih even if they performed it with ikhlas. They will be subjected to the fire of hell as if they had not performed it at all. The ritual performed by a person who knows and applies its essentials is sahih, and it will not cause any torture of hell for them. However, if they have not performed it with ikhlas, the ritual and any other favors of theirs are not makbul. They will not earn any thawa for them. Allah Ta'ala expresses dislike for such a ritual or any other of their charitable or good deeds. An ibadah performed without ilm and ikhlas is worthless. It will not protect against unbelief, sinfulness, and penalty. Quite a number of hypocrites who performed ibadah likewise throughout their lifetime have been witnessed to die as unbelievers. Ibadah performed with ilm and ikhlas protects one against unbelief and sinfulness and makes them aziz, highly esteemed, in this world. As for their life in the hereafter, Allah Ta'ala promises in the ninth ayat al-Karima of Surah Al-Ma'idah and also in Surah Al-Asr that they will be saved from torture in hell. Allah Ta'ala is true to His promises. He certainly keeps His promises.